time previously. It challenged me then. As I prepared this evening, it continues to challenge me. And I just felt that the church needed to be challenged and shared with it as well. The average age when the human body stops getting taller is generally between the ages of 16 and 21. And we can think of that in a physical sense. And yet, when it comes to growth, beyond just the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, most people seem to settle into average by the end of their late 20s or early 30s. And it's rare that you'll find a person who is committed to comprehensive personal growth and have a plan and be intentional about growth into their 30s and 40s and beyond. I speak of that in general terms in the world today. I trust that it's a much higher percentage in the apostolic church. Amen. And so tonight, I'd like to, to speak to you on lifetime growth, on being intentional and growing throughout our life. And I did not know what was going to be shared this morning when I already had prepared and planned to share this with you and as our pastor ended this morning. But I believe that the Lord has orchestrated this and it dovetails wonderfully with that and even with um, what we just heard, amen, about the perspective that God has, a much, much bigger picture. Amen. So, lifetime growth. And I, I have seven points to make in total. We may get through three, perhaps four this evening. But the first, the first of those is that to see your future as bigger than your past. If you're going to be committed and intentional about a lifetime of growth, we must always ha see our future as bigger than our past. You see, we go in the direction that we tend to look, right? We, we've all experienced that when we're driving down the car, we're driving down the road in the car. We, we've got our hands responsibly at six and nine uh, on, the, on the wheel, you know, and we're, we're uh, ready to, and one of the kids is doing something in the back seat or we spot something, you know, there's an emergency vehicle or something, and we turn our head and the vehicle just naturally tends to swerve that way because we naturally go in the direction in which we look. And so if we're looking behind us in life, we're going to tend to stutter because we're going to tend to regress rather than progress. We go in the direction that we look. We tend to look at things that are either urgent in our life or things that are important. And not everything that is urgent is important. <laughs> if you've been in ministry for any length of time at all, you know that that's true. But we tend to look at either the urgent or the important. But if it's neither of those things that really should not be directing our life growth. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, that anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God because they knew that even then, before uh, Henry Ford had, had created the assembly line and mass-produced automobiles, 
knew that even when you were plowing, to plow a straight line, a furrow in the, in the ground, you had to keep your eye ahead of you to make sure that it was straight. If you began looking to this way or that way, then that's the way that the furrow, and then you'd have this like zigzag line. We can't live in the past and prepare for the future that God has. And it's, it's not that we can't reflect on the past. It's not that we can't be nostalgic. It's not that we can't learn from the past because sometimes it's a nice place to visit, to go back in our, in our mind and reflect. But it's not a good place to live. It's not a good place to live. And those things in our past, only those things in our past that will bleed into our future are really those things that we can affect and it's really outside the scope of, uh, of this teaching this evening. But let me key on one major example, and that is forgiveness. Or rather, unforgiveness. Because if that has happened in our past and it's not properly dealt with, it will definitely bleed into our future. Amen. So, we could teach for, <laughs> well, a week on forgiveness. So God is about our future. When we think about it, we can't change our past. We can't even change the present because as soon as I do it, it's in my past. So it's really only the future that we have any effect. And you know what? God is most concerned about our future. He is about the future because he has expunged our past. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It says prophesying in Micah chapter 7. And this is Old Testament that we're reading now, but it sounds a lot like New Testament. Micah chapter 7 says, Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Hallelujah. What an amazing God that we serve. Thank you, Jesus. Because Micah here is prophesying about the future of the nation of Israel. In Hebrews, Paul is, or Paul or whoever the writer is, I, I'm not sure that it is Paul, quite frankly, personally, but whoever the writer is, is now reflecting back, quoting from another prophet, Jeremiah, in Hebrews chapter 8. We say, this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them in their hearts. I will be, to their, I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Hallelujah. We may not be able to forgive and forget, but God can. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God can. Verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. God is all about our future because he has expunged our past. I am so thankful for that. The devil, on the other hand, the devil is all about the past. We've all had those experiences where the, the devil's got this little film reel, right? 
or, or a little video that he plays, and he's the accuser of the brethren, and he stockpiled all of these video clips, and he plays them back to us over and over, all the stuff from our past, and tries to dredge all of that stuff up that God's forgotten about. But the devil is all about the past because he has no future. He has no future. He's going to be locked up and then finally cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. That's the future that he has to look forward to. And so in lieu of that, he's all about the past. Satan would have us focus on our past so that we might miss out on what God has in the future. Jeremiah chapter 29 Verse 11 reads, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God's got plans. Hallelujah. Just like we just heard, God's got a big, big picture in mind. He has got plans in store for you. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, not everything in your past may be that good. I, I dare say that we've all got stuff in our past that's not good. But good or not, past experiences can be the raw material that God uses to create an even bigger future. In Genesis chapter 50, we read Joseph's words to his brothers. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Not everything in Joseph's childhood or in his past was good or it seemed good at the time, but God was somehow, as the, the master artist or master orchestrator, bringing it all together, and he intended it for good. He brought me to this position, Joseph said, so that I could save the lives of many people. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Not my plans, not my purpose, not my dreams, right? God's purpose for me. He's got everything working together for, his, for the good of me and for you, for his purpose. They say that the future is that time when you'll wish you had done what you aren't doing now. But we should not fear failure because sometimes we hesitate and we think, well, should we do that? And I, I can second guess myself as well as the next person. We shouldn't feel fa failure so much that we refuse new things. So much that we refuse to move forward with what God has in store. I've also heard it said that the saddest summary of a life contains these three descriptions. Could have, might have, and should have. And so it's God's intent that we ensure that our dreams are bigger than our memories. Even the best of memories that we have. God wants us to have bigger dreams than that. We, we perhaps if you could see in your mind's eye, you know, that broken down, I'll use my own age, 45-year-old in a sort of ill-fitting football jersey, still reliving the glory days of high school, that, that game that he scored six touchdowns, right? That's kind of a lame caricature, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of sad, 
right? God's not called us to that. God's called us to bigger and better and greater things because that's how God works. Bigger things. So that our dreams are even bigger than our memories. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, quotes from Joel, the prophet Joel, and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your old men shall dream dreams. And I often wondered, Lord, why is it young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams? Why is that? And as I have already confessed at 45, I'm kind of in the middle there. So I'm not sure that I... but. I can sort of empathize with both, perhaps. And God answered me in prayer, and he simply said, you don't have to tell a young man to dream. At the point that I was, as I said, in my 40s now, I'm, that resonated with me. And God sort of, you know when God just sort of punches you in the kidney? You know, like, oof, you know, because I remember a time when I was 19 and 20 and 21 and, and you're so full of enthusiasm for life and you're so full of dreams and, and the world's your oyster, right? And life happens and, and, and you've got this checklist and, you're, and you marry a beautiful woman and you have great kids and you have, and sometimes you just sort of get caught up with life passing by and you tend to maybe lose some of that and the years pass and you're not dreaming like you used to dream. But God says that old men, even old men who were once young men, full of dreams, those old men will dream dreams once again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John, John was an old man when he received the revelation of something new. Revelation 21 and 1 John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea also was gone. A few verses later, he continues, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Hallelujah. He then said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. There is more in store. God's future for you, God's future for this church, God's future for his church at large is bigger and better and greater than it ever has been. And if we are going to continue to grow as God wants us to grow personally, we must ensure that we view our future as bigger than our past. Amen. Amen. The second point this evening, we must determine that our learning will be greater than our experience. Our learning will be greater than our experience. One of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain, and I I have a, a few. One of my favorites, though, is, I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. Mm. And I, I am just jaded enough about organized scholastic endeavors to, for that to really resonate with me. Um, a bit of an autodactite self-learner, I, and, but we should all want to continue to learn. But Twain here is touching on a point is that education and learning goes far beyond sitting at a desk in a classroom. 
I think that's what's most important. And I have been, been blessed to spend at least a bit of time with some giants of the faith and with, with Brother J.T. Pugh before he passed and, and Brother Tenney and, and Brother Sism. And, and I could go through the list. And one of the common denominators I began to see in, each, in the lives of each of these men that now into their 80s and you'd think, well... <laughs> They, they've learned everything that you could possibly learn, right? I mean, how many books have they, they studied? How many revelations have they received? How many messages have they preached? And, and they're at a point in their life where they can maybe put it into neutral, you know, and just sort of just, they built up so much momentum, they could just coast on through the pearly gates at this point, right? And yet that's not the case. That was not the case with any of them. They're still learning. They're still reading. I, I still, it blows me away. I was talking with Brother, Brother Pugh, and he's like, yes, I'm reading a book on quantum physics and string theory. And I'm like, dear Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> wow. Of course, I, I felt convicted, and I had to go read and study a little bit about that myself. <laughs> right? But that is one of the common threads through all of them. Now, experience alone is no guarantee of growth. Experience alone is no guarantee of growth. And I saw a, a great object lesson of this many years ago. Um, we were at the North American Bible Quiz Tournament in Salt Lake City. It was 1988. And at that time, uh, the national tournament ended with a youth banquet. It wasn't just a Bible quizzing banquet, but it was a youth banquet. And it happened late at night. And um, it was at, oh, I forget the hotel. Anyway. And we were staying a couple blocks down from the hotel. <clears throat> and if you've ever been to Salt Lake City, they've got very wide blocks out there because they've got a lot of space to fill. And so we were leaving the banquet. I think it was like 2 a.m. Um, I was uh, 15 at the time. My teammate was 15. My brother was with us as well. He was, would have been uh, 12 and a half, 13. And so we're watch, walking through the streets of Salt Lake City at 2 a.m. in the morning, and we pass a, a, um, a bar that was still open at that time. It was um, open, and there's some folks sitting on the, the stoop, and we just sort of, you know, kept our, our gaze straight and just walked on past. And as we reached that, that corner and we crossed the wide street there in Salt Lake City, and we were about halfway across the, the street, and we saw a bit of... Uh, motion over on, in the dark in the shadows. They, they didn't have it. It wasn't well lit or anything. And there was a, a plate glass window. There was a business there, and we, we sort of caught that. We were a little on edge because we just passed this rowdy, carousing kind of atmosphere, and just young boys in a strange city. And and so we're we're a little leery, and we see this this movement. And there was somebody who must have exited the bar. Staggered across the street, far too inebriated to, to drive, and wasn't doing a very good job walking even. And we watched him as we continued to walk across the street towards the corner in which he was, he, we would share with him. He was sort of tipsy, and, he walked, and just smack right into that plate glass window, full, full on, and just poof, just dropped there on the ground. And we're wide-eyed, 
Like, okay, you know, we're coming from the, the youth banquet. We're all full of the Holy Ghost and we're like, hmm, okay, this is what the world's about. You know, well, we're doing this. And so, but I kid you not, we're just sort of quickening the pace a little. Keep walking, just keep walking, you know. And I kid you not, this, this guy pulls himself up and he's like barely on his feet again. And he musters himself and boom, walks right back into that window and poof, right onto the ground again. And we were past him. Because experience alone is no guarantee of growth. If we don't learn from those experiences. But if we conscientiously view our experiences as new lessons, then we will make each day a time and an opportunity for growth. And those who most given to growth are those who can transform even the smallest events or situations into applicable thinking with action to be able to follow up. And just last month, we uh, did an activity with uh, the youth group in which we had each of them uh, reach into a, a hat or a bowl, I forget, and pull out a, a piece of paper, folded piece of paper, with just a common everyday thing. And the, the task of the activity was to take this and turn it into a parable. An actual application, a life application from just an everyday thing that we would encounter. And so I have just a few examples here. One was a dishwasher, pencil, soap, a lamp, chocolate, a hammer, Wi-Fi, plunger, eyeglasses, a blanket. You get, you get the idea. And we went around the group one by one, and they were able to make a spiritual application with one of these physical, everyday objects. Because if we're looking for things like that to learn from, we don't have to have a huge life-altering experience to enhance our learning. And that's, in fact, just how Jesus taught. As we look into Matthew chapter 13, it's perhaps the most succinct example in the Gospels because we have so many examples of Jesus implementing this. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 10, we're going to sort of skip through the chapter here for the sake of time this evening. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, when we cross an everyday item like a dishwasher, and we think, well, that's got nothing applicable that I can use, that parable sitting in front of us goes unused, and we don't glean that knowledge. But if we can look at that dishwasher, and, and just as all of the, the dishes are ordered and kept in place and the forks are put here and the cups over here and God order my life as well. Put that in a certain order that you so that I may best be cleansed and washed and reused again for your purpose. If we can see something like that and glean something from it, then we've gained knowledge. And Jesus said there's going to be those who hear these parables and see these things that go right over their head. But to those who listen, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have 
There's Jesus throwing some shade there. Even what little understanding they have, they will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really under they don't really listen or understand. So Jesus goes on through the chapter and gives so many examples of parables. And again, as I said, for the sake of time, skipping to verse 24. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. He's speaking about everyday items that every one of them could relate to. Skipping to verse 31. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And I'm not going through Jesus' explanation of this. I'm just trying to highlight that Jesus used common everyday things. And that's what a parable is. A natural story or opportunity, event, thing that has spiritual significance, if we can draw it out. He continues in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. So Jesus, maybe not everybody is farmers, but they can relate to that. Perhaps some are merchants and perhaps some are fishermen, but he's got something that is applicable for everyone. In verse 34, skipping backwards in the the chapter. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. He never spoke to them without using such parables. I've been convicted in recent months, well, probably going back a a year or more. Sometimes I, I... I love the details. I love getting into the minutia of stuff. You know, as they say, God is in the details. But sometimes I can get lost in the weeds. And I'm not studying or I'm not sharing just for myself alone. I need to be able to convey that in as simple and straightforward a fashion because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. This, is fulfilled, this fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. (laughs) Wow. To think that in those parables and those everyday things that the hidden things from the creation of the world, God will reveal to us if we purpose to make our learning greater than our experience. Amen. Amen. That's exciting stuff. Number three. Purpose that your contribution exceed your reward. Purpose that your contribution exceed your reward. Quoting from the the book by Sullivan and Yamura, as you become more successful, numerous rewards will come your way. Greater income, greater praise, recognition, reputation, status, capabilities, 
resources and opportunities. These are all desirable things, but they can be growth stoppers. They may tempt you to become fixated on just the rewards rather than focus on making still greater contributions by helping others to eliminate their dangers, capture their opportunities, and maximize their strengths. Hmm. Hmm. It's like the blessing can become the curse if we're not careful. To make your contribution greater than your reward, we need to adopt an anti-entitlement attitude. No matter how capable we get, no matter how great the praise or the recognition becomes or the reputation or how many resources or opportunities, that does not mean that we're entitled. And if we, if we become entitled, there is a fine line between entitlement and being a victim. There is a fine line between an attitude of entitlement and an attitude of victimhood. Because the moment that we think that we are owed something and we don't receive it, we become a victim. And we've fallen into that trap. And if we're not careful, we can even sometimes in the church think that God owes us. <laughs> I mean, it seems laughable when you say it that way. But that attitude can kind of creep up on us. Because we work and we invest ourselves and we pour ourselves into the work of the kingdom. And when things don't go our way, like Pastor was talking about this morning, we're, we're input, input, input. Oh, my God, that's the output? I mean, come on now. And we think that God owes us. <laughs> you see, we, we understand investors in the world want a great return, Right? Perhaps you're familiar with the, uh, there's a TV series called Shark Tank where they bring in these investors and the, these sharks that are seeking and they're looking for an investment that yields a factor of 5 and 10 and 20 on their investment because they're all very important people. They've made a lot of money and they've got a limited amount of time and if they were going to spend it, their time or their resources, now they may invest their money but if a company needs their time to grow and to develop, well, that means that they're going to want a lot more equity because their time is so much more valuable, right? So we recognize that as, an, as investors on an investment basis. And sometimes we think, well, God, I'm investing, I'm investing. Where's the, the, the factor, the yield? It's a factor of 10 and 20. And as was read from, from Hebrews, those, those great heroes of faith. Not all of them that we read. Some of them are nameless. Some of them were sawn asunder. They're still heroes. They didn't get that same, they, that same yield on their investment, per se, in this life. We must give. We must contribute without the expectation of ever receiving. We must be willing to give whether we ever get anything in return. We must be willing to teach that Bible study whether the person makes a choice to repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost and live an overcoming life. But we must still teach that Bible study. We must give without an expectation of ever receiving because in my Bible it still says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And if we are blessed in the giving, then that should be enough. That should be enough. And the receiving then is just gravy. It's just the cherry on top. Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, these are the words of Jesus. And he says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If I'm going to invest to get a return, well, that's, that's nothing admirable. You don't deserve a pat in the back for that. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. I love this quote by Robert Louis Stevenson. Determine success by the seeds you sow rather than the harvest you reap. Determine success by the seeds you sow rather than the harvest you reap. It wasn't in my notes, and I'm, my time is drawing to a close this evening. But in light of the, the upcoming mission service about sending our own, I was blessed to be at Brother Fred Kinsey's funeral some years ago. And he had previously testified, and it was shared again that day, that as he started that work in Toledo, and it was growing and growing, and he was mentoring and training young men and women, that he wanted to, to keep them at the church, right? And my pastor growing up, Brother Dummett, he used to say, you know, we want those liabilities when they were young to turn into assets, right? And so Brother, Brother Kinsey was very reticent to release these young men and women into the kingdom, and he was convicted about that. He was convicted. And God got a hold of him and said, I want this church to be known more for the seeds that it sows than the harvest that is reaped here. And at his funeral that day, they had a section, uh, several pews, four or five pews near the, the front reserved for, for ministers who were there. And I was, I felt really awkward and inadequate, quite frankly, sitting amongst all those great men of God. But they asked, having recounted this again at his funeral, they asked all of those who had been mentored and whose ministry was an outgrowth of Brother Kinsey to stand. And there were four pews full of ministers and pastors and missionaries that stood up. And I, wow. And just because Brother Kinsey did not reap that harvest there in Toledo, though the church had grown, God is faithful, he keeps good books. The church had grown. The harvest for the kingdom at large was multiplied so many times over so many times over because there was one man who decided that my contribution is going to exceed whatever I get back in return. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so I'm challenged, and I challenge you. 
Each morning that we arise, we can ask ourselves, to whom can I add value? To what situation can I add value? And it not benefit me at all, God. I may not see the fruit of it in my life personally or in my family, but Lord, in my comings and goings and the busyness of life, where and to whom can I add value? And I may never know until we're on the other side what the reward was. Because for a lifetime of growth, that is one of the key things that we have to keep in mind. Amen. Well, we've got a few more points, but I will save this for another time as we're almost up against it. I don't want to have to get caught right in the middle here. Let's stand. As I said at the outset, every time I review this, I'm really challenged in my spirit. And in this year of the Sabbath, and as was shared, I, I had <laughs> this morning how that rest is actually preparing this. I had several weeks ago mentioned to my wife after being in prayer, I'm like, this is not just a, oh, wow, we've been working hard and we deserve this time of rest. I said, this, this is not it. This is a gathering of potential energy over this year <laughs> in this church for what God is going to unleash <laughs> for, the, for the kingdom and on this community in the years going forward. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so I pray that we don't shy away from the challenges that, that come and that God grips us and lays before us, but that we obey his voice because God's got a much higher purpose in plan. If we are on board and wanting to grow, now's the time we rest, but with that mindset of lifetime growth, the kingdom growth. Let's pray as we wrap things up this, this evening. God, I thank you, Lord. God, hallelujah. Oh, God, even when I don't know it all, God, you have, you've promised that you have plans for me. God, for each of us, God, plans for peace and not for disaster. God, you uphold us by the power of your hand, your grace, your spirit, Lord, hallelujah.